Good morning. So next week, uh, we're going to have something a little bit different in here. We're going to have our ministry fair. And for most of you guys, this will probably be your first one. Uh, we do a ministry fair typically once a year here just to kind of showcase what we offer in terms of our Manasseh ministries and uh, some of the other things that are opportunities for you to serve or be served here. Uh, so next week, Jake is going to preach. Uh, the, the sermon's going to be quite a bit shorter than normal because we're going to give you guys time to go out and we're going to have booths set up uh, for all of the different things we offer next week. Um, so it's going to be a really good opportunity for you to kind of see what we have for you and also, like I said, maybe somewhere you can serve. Uh, so know that that's coming. But in prep for that, you know, ministry is, is another word for service in the Bible. It's, it's an act of love. And we're in the middle of a sermon series here called More Than Words. We, for the last several weeks, uh, looked at the word faith. Uh, we looked at it from a lot of different angles, and we talked through uh, this, this impactful word, faith, believe in the Bible. It's a really big deal. We kind of got through the nitty-gritty, and what exactly does the Bible mean when it talks about this stuff? This week, we're going to start a conversation about love. Uh, love is one of those words that gets thrown around quite a bit, and I think is honestly misunderstood. You know, you love the Disney movie you just watched. You love, I love this meatloaf. It's so good. You know, we just kind of throw that word around to the point that it almost loses its meaning. And when words get used so much, um, that, that is what happens. We just, they, they don't mean what they, they should mean. The thing is, love is a super duper big deal. It's super important that we understand what it looks like. It's super important that we understand uh, how to express it. It's super important that we just kind of wrap our minds around what Jesus means when he says things like, hey, you need to love people. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, you've got some notes in your bulletin if you want to pull those out. It's going to have most of the passages of Scripture that we're going to look at on them. Um, if, if they're not on your notes, we'll probably have them up on the screen. Um, but Matthew 22, somebody asked me a while back, you know, if you just had to boil the Bible down as far as what is the most important thing I need to get out of this, uh, it, honestly, Jesus got the same question. Uh, he had a guy that came up to him one time and was like, hey, what's the greatest command in the law? Um, Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law? Jesus answered in Matthew 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and most important commandment. The second most important commandment is like this one. And it's love others as much as you love yourself. Now, when this teacher of the law came and asked Jesus this, whenever the Bible says it was a teacher of the law, that means this was in the first century a guy who was an expert in the first five books of what we would call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Um, that's uh, the Pentateuch. That was the, the Jewish Bible. That's what had all their laws in it. That's what they lived by. Uh, they, they believed if they followed this, that their sins were going to be forgiven and they were going to get to go to heaven because they were going to be right with God. Guess what? They should have believed that because that's exactly what it was meant to do. It was uh, uh, things that they could do uh, according to Jewish tradition and Mosaic tradition to get them right with God. And so this guy who is an expert in all of that came and asked Jesus this question, what's, what, out of all of the stuff that I know, what's the most important commandment? Out of these 613 commandments, which is the first one, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Um, that's actually a quote where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He says that's number one, okay? And number two is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, 
Notice, Jesus said, you can boil the Bible down to two commandments. It has, both of them have to do with love, okay? It's love God and love your neighbor as yourself. What if you get screwed up on what love is? Do you see how this can mess up your life? If Jesus says the most important thing you can do is learn to love God and love others, if you don't get love right, it's going to mess up your life because you're not going to do the things that Jesus says are most important. There's another telling uh, of a similar story in Luke 10. It, uh, uh, I don't know if this is the same situation. It's probably a little different situation here, maybe a different guy. Um, but Luke 10, 25 to 28, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? This guy answers correctly. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Now, we're going to keep reading where this goes, because this guy he already knew this answer. He knew, he knew, the, he knew Jesus knew what, what the right answer was according to Jesus. But then he throws in a, another question. He goes, well, who is my neighbor? Just who is my neighbor? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, now I want to start putting qualifiers on who my neighbor is, right? Because I don't want to love everybody. Um, and Jesus knew that. Here's where I want to just establish as a foundation, though, before we jump into that, okay? There are three must-know truths from these three texts right here. Number one, to love is to do the most important thing. To love is to do the most important thing. Now, I have hammered you guys the past few weeks on faith. We've hammered faith. If you say you have faith, it's going to show up in what? It's going to show up in actions, right? If you say you have faith, but you sit around and don't do anything with it, that is faith, right? It's a kind of faith. What kind of faith is that? It's a dead kind right? It's not a good kind. It's kind, but it's not the kind you want. Same with love, guys. If you say you love God and you say you love other people, but it doesn't show up in your actions, that's an empty word. That's a meaningless word. If I say that I love God, but I don't do anything God says, and I don't really care, do I love God? No. You might say that, but it, it shows up in action. You're going to see that with, with this stuff, right? If you say you love, it's going to show up in action. It's to do. To love is to do the most important thing. And I put most important down here, guys, because this is the most important command. It has to do with love. Number two, my love in this world affects where I live in the next. My love in this world affects where I live in the next. Now, what the Bible teaches, what Christianity teaches, is that when we die... Physically, we're not dead. We go, spirits, we stand before the Lord and we have to give an account of our life. We're all going to be judged. We're all going to have to stand before God someday. Uh, whether I get to be with God in eternity or not depends on how I spend my time here. And it is wrapped up in how I love, if I love. Do I love God and do I love other people? That, those are, that's the question right there. Do I love God and do I love other people? We're going to be judged according to that someday. And uh, we want to make sure we get that right. Part of why love is so important is because uh, eternity is dependent on how we love in this life. And then thirdly, Jesus spelled love, S-E-R-V-E. I'm going to give you an acronym this morning, okay? S-E-R-V-E. We're going to work through that. 
Today, we're going to ask the question, what does love look like according to Jesus? And we're going to use the serve acronym to kind of share that. I'm going to read Luke 10, uh, 25 through 37. We're going to read this all together. This is the story of the Good Samaritan, and then we're going to break it down. If you want to follow along, I'm going to have the passage up here on the screen, but if you want to pull your Bible out and have it in front of you, I encourage that. Um, you guys check my work here, make sure we're not uh, selling snake oil, right? Um, Luke 10, starting in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Same, same thing we just read here. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? And notice law is capitalized. He's talking about the proper law of Moses. This is the first five books. Anytime you see the capitalized law in the Bible, it's referring to Mosaic law. Okay, so just kind of know that. Um, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Or as Eugene Peterson says in the message, looking for loopholes, the man asked this question. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Yeah, loophole, right? I want to put qualifiers on who my neighbor is. In reply, Jesus is going to tell him a story, okay? Jesus taught through parables. He, he would tell stories that would kind of paint a picture in your mind. And then the trick is you want to find yourself in the story. You want to find yourself in the parable. There's somewhere that I'm in this. I need to figure out where I am. That could be good or bad, right? Uh, but here Jesus is going to tell a parable. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, if you've ever been over there, this is a dangerous place today. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho. You guys have heard of the conflict between Israel and Palestine, right? Uh, that's the Jews and the Samaritans. They still don't like each other, okay? There's still violence over there to this day. Back in the first century, this road was called the Road of Blood because it was full of bandits and robbers. It was, it was, you, were, you were likely to get robbed if you went down this road. And so a lot of times people would travel together uh, just for security purposes. But here... Um, He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Then there's this guy that gets attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So here's this naked, bleeding guy on the road, right? A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, in Jewish culture, the priest and the Levite were religious leaders, just make a mental note of that, okay? These are the good guys, quote unquote. These are the guys that are supposed to know how to love God and love people. These are the religious people. They pass by on the other side. But then, in verse 33, but a Samaritan. And you could just say a hated Samaritan. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans, right? There was a lot of tension there. A hated Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Now here's a guy who's not even a believer. The Samaritans worshiped a God. But the conflict between them and the Jews is the Samaritans had made up their own religion. Back in the uh, times of the kings, uh, there was um, a split in the north and south kingdoms. Uh, the south is where Jerusalem was. It's where the temple was. The north uh, is, is where everybody else was. But they would all travel down to the temple in Judah. Uh, well, there was a guy named Jeroboam way back when. He didn't like the fact that the people that were in his kingdom kept going down to the south to worship. And so in order to remedy their need to go down to the temple, he set up uh, 
altars and high places up in the mountains up north so that people didn't have to travel down. And he even built a golden calf, which is crazy. And they actually worshiped a golden calf. Well, it all blew up because God punished them for that. But that is the historical basis for this conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. These Samaritans were still worshiping the calf god. They were, they were still not going to the temple. They were still telling people, if you want to be right with God, you need to come up here in these mountains with us and do the things we're doing, which was another religion. And so it was a religious tension that existed. This guy's not even a believer, right? He's a Samaritan, not even a believer. Um, in verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So he even paid this guy's medical bills, right? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So that's the punchline. Now, Jesus turned that question around. Because that guy's saying, who is my neighbor? Jesus turns the question around and said, who do you think was being a neighbor? It wasn't, it wasn't who's my neighbor, it's, it's who are you being a neighbor to. Kind of interesting. But these Jews, man, they hated the Samaritans and vice versa. They did not get along. Uh, but the one who was a neighbor was the bad guy. Bad guy, right? Uh, interesting. And so Jesus... He presents this direct confrontation to this Jew, Jewish lawyer's point of view by telling this story. And man, he's just messing with this guy, right? It's like Jesus chose the one guy. He's messing with this guy. I love it. Uh, here's a lesson, though, from the Good Samaritan. And, and the question we're going to ask again is what does love look like according to Jesus? If I want to nail this love thing, what does it look like? Like, how does it show up in my life? How does it practically show up? Well, first of all, the S, Jesus teaches me to love, is to, number one, see the needs. See the needs. If I'm going to love, I've got to see the needs of the others around me, okay? Let me read this again. Luke 10, 31 through 33, a priest came along, saw the man lying there, crossed to the other side of the road and passed him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by. Then a Samaritan came along and he saw the man. Now, all three of these guys saw the man, but only one of them really saw the man, if you know what I'm saying. It's kind of like when I'm driving down the road and there's that guy holding up the sign on the side of the road. Do you guys see the man? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm probably not giving that dude cash. I'm probably looking the other way a lot of the time. And I can do that with a lot of needs around me. You know, sometimes it's just I'm just protecting myself. But these guys, the religious guys, just walk on by, right? And it's the Samaritan that sees. Let me ask you a question. How often did Jesus see the needs of others? Can you think of any times when he saw things that maybe others overlooked? I'll just tell you, in, in, in Jesus' day, rabbis didn't talk to, to kids. Did Jesus talk to kids? Man, he welcomed the little children, right? Uh, in in Jesus' day, rabbis didn't talk to women. Did you know that? They didn't, let them, they didn't let them learn. They made them get out if they started teaching, right? Did Jesus let women learn? 
In, in his society, they didn't, right? Jesus spent time with them, loved them. What about, uh, what about sinners? Did Jesus spend any time with sinners? And when I say sinners, I mean people, the religious people looked down on. You know, somebody that struggled with addiction or uh, somebody that had been promiscuous or somebody that had just really blown it. Like they, there were certain people that were kind of the outcast. Man, those are the kinds of people Jesus spent time with. He noticed. He spent time with them. I think about um, the woman who had a medical issue. Remember that we studied a while back, the woman that was bleeding? Well, Jesus paid attention to her. That woman had been an outcast for how many years? Long time, right? Uh, a lot of times he's paying, paying attention to the people that need healing. We can, go, we can just make a list, right? He was constantly paying attention to people. Why do I bring that up? Because, guys, the point of Christianity, if you're new, a lot of you guys in here are investigating, okay? The point of Christianity is we want to be like Jesus. So whenever we look at our lives, we want to compare our lives to what Jesus is like. And if there's any difference in my life and what I see in him, I want to make myself like him. Like, that's the point of it. When we talk about being a Christian, even the word Christian means little Christ, little Jesus, the word disciple that we throw around a lot, when we say we want to be a disciple of Jesus, a disciple is a student that's trying to become like their teacher. That's what a disciple is. So when I say I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm, I'm following Jesus as my leader, as my God, and I'm trying to become like him. And so we want to make sure that we're investigating that. One of the things that he really modeled for us, though, is he sees. And he sees and he does. Like, he takes action, right? Jesus urged his followers to pay attention to people, not to ignore people. I think about that story with the Samaritan woman. Another great example, when Jesus notices a woman who's an outcast, he goes and spends time with her. She gets so excited about what Jesus says, she runs in and grabs her whole town and brings them out. And come, come listen to this guy who told me everything. Then Jesus takes the opportunity in John 4.35. He says, right now you say that in about four months it'll be time to harvest. He's talking to his disciples who really didn't want to be bothered by these people. Jesus is like, you guys can, can pay attention to the signs of the times for the harvest. Well, I'm telling you, open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These fields are ripe. It's harvest time. Jesus is saying, quit ignoring these people and love these people. Look, I brought you a crowd. Come love these people. Get your head out of your butts. It's hard to see, right? Look at the people around you. Look at them. Secondly, Jesus teaching me to love is to E, engage my heart. Engage my heart. And what I mean when I say engage my heart is I mean connect emotionally. Connect emotionally with people. Sometimes uh, we see something and we choose to disengage emotionally. And sometimes we probably should, to be honest with you. Um, but a lot of times we should not, right? Uh, Jesus says the, the difference between the Samaritan here, like the other, they, all three of them saw, okay? The Samaritan saw in a little different way. And here's why. Because a Samaritan came along when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. That's the difference. That is the difference between the Samaritan and the Levite and the priest. The Samaritan felt compassion for him. In the NIV, it says he took pity on him. And what that means is he connected emotionally with the state that this man was in. Here's a naked, bleeding guy on the side of the road. And I'm a religious leader, and I walk around, well, that looks like his problem. 
right? And then the hated Samaritan, the one who didn't really have a great relationship with God, sees him and, I'm going to love that guy. I'm going to feel compassion for that guy. And he's the one that's considered godly. Let me ask you, though, how did Jesus model engaging his heart? How did Jesus model connecting emotionally with people? How many times, if you read the Gospels, does it say Jesus felt compassion? Did you know it's a lot? You know, a lot of times when he goes into a town and he sees people that need healing, before he heals them, it says Jesus felt compassion for them. Uh, I think about the time uh, when there was a lady, Jesus and the, and the 12, they were traveling and they were going to this town and then they saw this funeral procession coming out of the town and it was this lady whose only son had died. And she's just weeping and, and it says Jesus felt compassion for this woman. He, he connected emotionally with this woman. Then he goes and raises her son from the dead. You want to talk about a celebration, man? Wouldn't that be awesome to see? By the way, one of the reasons we listen to Jesus is because not only does he proclaim authority from God, he also demonstrates it. And so when we say we want to be like Jesus, we say that because as Christians, we believe Jesus is God. And so when he comes into the world and says something, it has every bit of the weight of God. And uh, man, isn't it good to know that God is like that? That he sees somebody hurting and he goes and connects with them and, and, and helps them in their hurt. Isn't it good to know we serve a God like that? Right? Have you ever hurt? God cares. And it's modeled here. Jesus had compassion on and healed the sick. He had compassion on and healed the blind men. His heart went out to the woman whose only son had died. He had compassion on the crowd in Jerusalem. When he said they're like sheep without a shepherd and he got up and started teaching them. He felt for them. He felt for them. He wept, guys. Remember when Lazarus died? Jesus cried right along with Mary and Martha. That's connecting emotionally. That's grieving with. He's there, empathy, compassion. And this is what we should be like in Colossians 3.12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. This needs to be part of who we are. Like part of your garment that you put on every day needs to be compassion. It needs to be the ability to connect emotionally, to empathize. You need to feel. Now, I'll just say, if you have been wounded, this is hard. Uh, I was abused sexually as a little kid. I was wounded real bad. I was messed up. I got abused for a long time. Very severe. I am a jacked up human being. One of the ways uh, that that trauma manifests itself and it doesn't matter if it's sexual abuse it could be neglect if you grew up without a mom and dad uh, that loved you very well uh, if you grew up uh, with an absent father uh, if you grew up being physically or emotionally abused if you grew up getting bullied severely uh, there's all kinds of different hurts right it doesn't matter the kind of hurt but the the result of a hurt is it makes us want to self-protect and so you go through life like this a lot of times emotionally, you go through life like this. You don't want to let anybody get too close because what can happen if you let somebody get too close? They can hurt you. And you don't want to get hurt anymore. You've already been hurt. So you want to keep them away. And what happens when you go through life like this is you can't let anybody get close to you, but what can you not do? You can't engage emotionally with others a lot of times because you're like this. Emotions, they, they can hurt you. 
Stick, keep them things away. I'm dangerous, right? That's just part of your world. And so if you're there, if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded, you need to understand part of the weakness in you that you're going to have to overcome with God's help and God's grace is the ability to connect emotionally with people. You won't be able to be the person God wants you to be if you can't show compassion for people because it's unchristlike not to show compassion for people. One of the cool things about God, though, is he'll meet you wherever you are. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how much sin you, you carry with you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. There is nothing you have done that's not forgivable and not redeemable. There's nothing you've done in your life that God can't use for good if you give it to him. Some of you are like, you don't know the things that have happened to me. I guarantee you, I, God can use it for good. Okay? He has a pattern of that. It's amazing how he can take the darkest, blackest, worst stuff, and that's the stuff that he will use to shine the brightest, you know, a lot of times when we give it to him. Uh, because he'll use us to help others who have been where we are. You want to know how he does that? By making us compassionate. And you say, I'm hurt really, really, really bad. Guess what? There's others that are hurt really, really, really bad too. And if you give your hurt to Jesus and he helps you get some healing and puts you on the path, guess what you can do? You can go to those other people that are hurt just as bad as you and you can help them, but you do it through compassion. You do it through connecting because you understand something about them. You can connect in a way that maybe I can't or maybe your neighbor can't, but God will use you that way. But he's going to teach you to be like Jesus. You ain't going to help anybody if you're not like Jesus. you got to be like him. And compassion, compassion is a command. In this Colossians passage we just look at, this isn't a suggestion. It doesn't say it might be a good idea if, as God's chosen, you know, it's, no, this is a command. You be compassionate. It's one of those things that's a command. And when you take this seriously and you start loving people the way Jesus did, guess what? It's going to compel you out of your comfort zone sometimes. You're going to do things that don't feel comfortable. If you let your feelings of comfort govern what you do or don't do, you are not going to be Christ-like. Because Jesus does stuff that's uncomfortable for me and for all of us. He put himself in uncomfortable situations sometimes. He died on a cross. Willingly, right? Don't let your feelings of whether you feel like it or not govern what you do. Just do what's right. Do what's Christ-like. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't concerned with our checklist. He's concerned with our hearts. My service without my heart amounts to nothing. You can modify your behavior and not have your heart in it and not honor God. It can just be behavior modification. Jesus is after your hearts. He wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to help you be the person you were always meant to be, but sin got in the way of your becoming. He wants to come and help you remedy that. He wants to help you be the person God always meant for you to be. In 1 Corinthians 13, and, and becoming the person you were always meant to be, is, is, it's wrapped up in whether you learn to love or not. Love is the most important thing. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't have love for others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This is Paul writing, okay? 
If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing, okay? Jesus is driven by a heart that's full of love, and he teaches his disciples to be the same way, okay? Paul here is, is one that's repeating. If you don't love, if you miss love, your life isn't going to amount to anything. If you go through life and you don't love God and you don't love people, your life isn't going to amount to anything. Guys, we need to take that serious. If love is an area of struggle for you, you need to get your priorities on to getting that worked out with the Lord and with his help. He doesn't do, you don't got to do it by yourself. You know, that's one of the cool things about God and the church is we never have to do stuff by ourselves. When we, when we need to get things right in our lives, we have help. That's what the church is all about. Jesus set it up that way. You want to know why he set it up that way? Because he wants us to love one another. We learn how to love one another. We learn how to love everybody, right? Uh, that's kind of the idea. But uh, if we don't get this right, Jesus is saying if you don't get love right, you will not have a good life, your life will amount to nothing. Okay, that's pretty much what Paul writes here. The R, Jesus teaches me to love, is to R, rearrange my priorities. Rearrange my priorities. Now in the story, the priest and the Levite see the man lying on the side of the road, and they just keep going. Now it could be that they had an appointment to get to. You know, they got somewhere to go. You got something to do. It could be uh, that they were in charge of some kind of religious service. They're on their way to the temple, right? These are leaders. Maybe they had to teach a Bible class or something. They're in a hurry. Maybe they're running a few minutes late, okay? Whatever the case might be, Jesus doesn't tell us in the story. We know that they put their priorities ahead of the guy on the side of the road, though, because they just kept right on going. But then you have the, the bad guy. Bad guy, right? The Samaritan. The non-religious guy who comes along, and what if he had plans that day? What if he was in a hurry to get some, somewhere to some appointment? We don't know. What we do know is whatever he had going on that day, his plans changed. Because he stopped, and he helps the guy, and not only does he help the guy, he takes the guy all the way into town, puts him in an inn, and then pays for him to get medical care. That probably took his whole day away from him. Man, what if he had something else going on? We, he rearranged his priorities. To, to help this guy. He made helping this guy that day the most important thing for him. And it showed up because we see him taking action, right? He rearranges his priorities. How did Jesus rearrange his priorities to love people? Um, there's a lot of different ways Jesus did this, but at 30, whenever he started his public ministry, he just became homeless. Like he had a house in Capernaum. Apparently he just left it. And he started going from town to town. And he had a bunch of sweaty teenage boys with him. Right? Some of them might have been in their 20s, but these are young men traveling around. Do you think? And they got on his nerves sometimes. Like there are times where they just got on his nerves. They were annoying. But he stayed with them. Right? Would you do that? Would you walk away from your job and start hanging out with sweaty teenage boys who get on your nerves for love? Well, Jesus did. And, and he, some of you guys are teachers. You're like, yeah, we do that. Um, God bless you. 
He did. Um, you know, to, to take it to an even, even bigger level than that, we believe that he's God. We believe because he taught and the Bible teaches that God made himself a man and came into his creation, right? God made himself a little baby and came into his creation. Is that rearranging your priorities? Like, he's coming. Why did he do that? He came for us. He came because he loved us, right? Jesus makes people his priority. He makes helping people his priority. He makes loving people his priority. That's his priority, right? He rearranges things around that. We're to be like that. You want to know what kills your ability to do this, though? Selfishness. Selfishness is antithetical to Jesus' form of love, which is the only form of real love, right? Selfishness is antithetical to that. That's why uh, it says in Philippians 2, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now here, you'll see in the Bible, in the New Testament, the, the writers frequently say, hey, you need to be like Jesus. Right? There's a consistent message all the way through. You need to be like Jesus. Here, Paul in Philippians is saying, don't be selfish because Jesus wasn't selfish. Don't just think about yourself because Jesus didn't just think about himself. Don't be unchristlike when it comes to this. Rearrange priorities so you can be more like Jesus. And here's the thing, guys. Unmet needs that are around us are usually an I problem, not an I problem. If you know what I'm saying. Like the, the letter I versus E-Y-E. It's not that you don't see the issue. It's that we're selfish. And the thing is, when you're selfish, you tend to only think about yourself, right? Uh, now, we got a lot of addicts here. We got a lot of people that struggle with addiction that are here in, in our number. I'm one of them, okay? I'm an addict. I was on drugs for years and years. You want to know what the number one sin of an addict is? Selfishness. That's your, that's your sin. Like, if you just want to get to the root cause of your issues, it's selfishness. That's really what it is. Um, it's thinking about what you don't have or thinking about, uh, you know, the trauma or whatever it might be. It, it really is, a, and when I say selfish, it's self-centered in, in, in that the gaze is turned inward. When all you're doing is gazing inward, you're going to get depressed. You're going to get sad. You're going to want to use because you're just looking at you. Turn your focus outward. Start looking at others. The number one cure for depression is helping others. The number one cure for depression is thinking of others instead of thinking of yourself. Like seriously, if you can change that where instead of life is all about what I don't have or how hurt I am and it becomes about helping the needs of the others around me. Uh, guys, there are scientific studies that have been done to prove the brain functions better, you emotionally feel better, but it's also just... Bible. Like a lot of stuff that is confirmed in science is this is healthy, this is better. You're going to feel a lot of it's just Bible. Like if you'll just do what the Bible says, you're going to feel better. You're going to get better. That's the cure. It's getting over just gazing inward. You want to help others, right? Uh, and honestly, when we don't help, it's a heart issue. 
It's not, as we say here, an eye problem. It's not that you don't see it. It's an eye problem in that we have a heart issue. And so what needs to change? Well, our heart needs to change. Okay? And if you're a person in this room whose heart needs to change, welcome. Welcome to humanity. Because there's only one who nailed this thing, this life thing, and it was Jesus. And so we need to change our heart to be like him. In 1 Corinthians 11.5, love isn't selfish. Actually, that, that should be 13, I think. Um, love isn't selfish. Um, that's one of the primary characteristics of love is it is its selfless nature, the other-centered nature, God and others, right? That's the nature of love. The V, Jesus teaches me to love, is to V, venture into their world. Venture into their world. He said some people go through life like this. Guess what you can't do at arm's length? You can't really love people that way. You can't really love them that way. Love is something that's experienced up close. In Luke 10, <coughs> when he saw the man, he felt sorry for him. The Samaritan went to him, poured olive oil and wine on his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he put the hurt man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he cared for him. Guys, he made contact with this guy. He touched this guy. He put this guy on his donkey and took him in. He, he was right there with him. This wasn't something that was done at a distance. You know? Now, you can impress people from a distance. Like, sometimes people want to get into ministry and start working in churches uh, because they see these preachers and stuff on stage, and they're like, you know, that's, that's really helping a lot of people. I want to do that. Uh, and so young ministers a lot of times can, can get into ministry and make it all about the polished presentation and all about the show and all about the stage. Uh, and, and you can have a really impressive church that way uh, where it's just, it really is impressive. Like I've been to some churches and I'm just like, wow, that was so cool. The thing is, you can impress from a stage. You can impress from a distance. If you want to impact somebody though, you do it up close. You do it up close. You, do, you impact lives when, when there's a touch that's there. Um, and so we try to teach our leaders here that principle, uh, where we, we don't want to be a church where people aren't getting cared for on an individual basis because we believe it's Christ-like to care about everyone. We want to make sure everyone gets that personal touch. Um, and we do that because of what we see in the life of Jesus here, this personal um, contact. Now, he's mentioned on this principle, it's to venture into the world. How did Jesus venture into the world of the people that he was trying to love? Well, you think about his earthly ministry, right? He gets together with these 12. We said earlier, he started traveling from town to town. He went to where the people were, right? He frequently went to where the people were. He went to where the people congregated. We see that uh, in, in the early church. You know that in your New Testament, uh, the, the New Testament books of the Bible, you want to know what those are named after, a lot of them? Cities. Philippi, Ephesus, Corinth, right? Major cities. Why? Because that's where they focused their efforts, was on the cities, 
Like for their evangelism, when they would go and, and make disciples, they were doing it in the cities and they would start a church in the city because that's where the people were. Because God cares about people. God cares about culture. God cares about individuals. God cares about communities. And so they ventured out and made contact with their... Taking it further than that even. We, we mentioned a second ago the idea that Jesus is God and he came into the world. You want to talk about venturing into their world... We, we theologically say that's the incarnation. Jesus made himself a human being and came into the world, the incarnation of, of God in Jesus Christ. That's venturing into the world. Not only did he venture into the world, he ventured in and let himself be mistreated. He knew ahead of time he was going to be mistreated. He knew ahead of time that he was going to be falsely accused. He knew ahead of time that the religious leaders of his day were going to rally the crowd. They were going to crucify him. He knew ahead of time what was going to happen. He's God. But he came into the world knowing the story and knowing what was going to unravel. He came into the world anyway. Why? Why did he do that? Because he loves you. And I think one of the reasons, we take communion here at the crossings every week. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. Um, one of the reasons that we take communion uh, every week, we either take it here in the assembly or we'll take it in our small groups when they meet. Uh, one of the reasons we do that is because Jesus told us to. And I think the reason that he told us to is because he wants us to be reminded on a weekly basis that we serve a God who loves his creation and loves people enough that he was willing to make himself a man and come into the world and die on a cross for our sins. And what God teaches, what the Bible teaches, is that you and I are sinners. Okay, are you alive today? Raise your hand if you're alive. Awesome. You got breath in your body, guess what? You're a sinner. Right? You know what the Bible says is going to happen to sinners? You're going to be cut off from the Lord. You know, when you die, you're going to go stand before the Lord and you're not going to have part with God. Why? Because you're a sinner. Right? If any of you in here think you've never sinned, you're wrong. You have. Okay? Uh, if you've ever told a lie, you've sinned. How many of you guys have never told a lie in your life? Okay? Nobody raised their hand? Oh, that's good. It would have been a lie. Uh, <laughs> If you've ever stolen anything, if you ever backtalked your mama growing up, did you ever backtalk your mama growing up? Yeah, you better watch it. Uh, if you ever backtalked, if you ever did anything wrong, you're a sinner, right? Jesus said, these people have no hope. I'm going to go down into their world. I'm going to get eye level with them. I'm going to let them see what I'm like. Because some people when they think of God, just have the Old Testament wrath God in mind. They don't understand what I'm really like. So I'm going to go down in there. I'm going to let them see what I'm like. I'm going to heal their sick. I'm going to touch their outcasts. I'm going to spend time with the people that nobody else will pay any attention to. I'm going to show them that I love everybody and that I'm for everybody. And I'm going to let them mistreat me. I'm going to let them falsely accuse me. I'm going to let them beat me till I'm unrecognizable. 
I'm going to let them do all this stuff in front of my mom. I'm going to watch my followers run away. And I'm just going to let them continue. I'm going to pray for their forgiveness while they're doing it. Because I love them. Even the ones that are doing this to me, I love them. I'm going to let that person think they've won the day, not realizing what they're doing, right? I'm going to let them nail me to a cross. I've got all the power of God. I created all of these people. I know them intimately. I could count the number of hairs on their head. I'm going to let them nail me to the cross. And if I wanted to, I could get down off this cross and I could nuke the world and start over. And I would be justified in doing so. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hang here. And I'm going to let them mock me. I'm going to let them spit on me. I'm going to let them be horrible to me. But I'm going to stay here. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to do it because I know if I do this, it's going to give them a chance. And I love them that much, even though they put me up here. That's who I am. That's what I'm like. And I think that's why he did it. Because God does not want you to misunderstand what he's like. God is compassionate. God is caring. God is loving, God is light, God is life. And he wants you to know it because he wants you to make the decision to be like him. And guys, that is the purpose of life. If you want to learn how to be the person God created you to be, if you want to have the best life you can have, it's wrapped up in your learning to be more like Jesus which is being more like God in his character. And Jesus knows you've done bad things. Jesus knows there are things you're ashamed of. Jesus knows you haven't been the person you need to be. But Jesus cares enough for you to give you a shot. And not only that, he's going to put people around you who can help you. And guys, he does not expect you to be perfect. Jesus knows you're still going to blow it sometimes. But you want to know what Jesus does? He says, hey, when you blow it, you get up, dust yourself off, try again. We call that repentance. Jesus says, when you blow it, you go and get help. And I've got people that I'm going to put around you who can help. I'm going to put people around you who've been through the same thing, but they found healing in me who can help. You need to go talk with them. You need to get help. Jesus says, you've got an addiction You've got something you're struggling with that you feel like you can't get over. I'm going to put people around you who can give you some accountability. Who can help you with that. Man, his grace is for you. If you're here this morning, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you are. His grace is for you. Ah, sorry. We take communion here every week. Because we want to be reminded that God's grace is for you. And it's for me. We serve a God who loves us so much. He died on a cross for our sins. And I know the stuff that he's calling us to do is hard. Like it's hard to change. It's, if anybody tells you being a Christian is easy, they don't know what we're talking about. They're probably not Christians. It's not hard. Or it's not easy. It's hard. 
Because laying down self and letting God be God and me not being God is hard. Like, there's a sacrifice. But, but you can do it. You can do it and you can have a great life. And what helps you be motivated to do that is guess what? It's his love. And if you can start to realize how much God loves you, even in your sin, how much he loves you, it's going to change your life. And that's why we take communion, because that's what it is. We serve a God who let himself get put on a cross because he loves us. He hung on a cross and stayed there and died because he loves us. He wants us to see this is what it's like to be a person of love. It's to be so willing to, to, to make your life about serving others that you're even willing to give it up if that's what it takes. What else could he have done to convince you that he loves you? What else could he have done? I don't think there is much else, right? That's what I want you to remember, though. When you think of the cross, when you think of communion, this is God loves me so much. That's where your head needs to be, okay? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song, um, and we're going to pass uh, some bread and some juice. So Jesus said the bread represents his body that was broken. The juice represents his blood that was shed. Um, I want to read Philippians 2, 5 through 8. We'll put it up on the screen and just to kind of get our minds right. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The God of the universe made himself a human being and let himself die on a cross because he was thinking about you. Let's pray. God, please help us to understand the depth of your love as best we can. God, I don't even think we can comprehend it, but help us to get a glimpse God, help those that are struggling here this morning to get a glimpse because I know if they can start to see how good you are and how much you love us, it's going to make a, a difference in their lives. They're never going to be the same. I pray as we take communion, God, this morning that we're not the same, that we know your love, and as a result, we're able to love others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, your E in our SERVE acronym uh, is engage with others to help. Jesus teaches me to love is to engage with others to help. Uh, it says, the Good Samaritan put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, look at this, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins saying, take care of this man if his bill runs higher than this. I'll pay you next time I'm here. He actually goes and finds others to help with this problem, right? Uh, interesting. Interesting how that works out. Uh, Jesus does the same thing, though. Whenever Jesus is loving people, guess what? He's bringing somebody along. Why? He's teaching them how to do it, too. We see him do that with the 12. 
He teaches these young men how to love, how to love God, how to love others. They turn around, they teach 72. It's like they got their own disciples, right? Jesus sends them out. Guess whose idea the church was? Do you guys know whose idea that was? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Man, y'all know the Bible class answer. It was Jesus, right? Jesus, which, which is awesome because most of you guys didn't grow up in the church. So you don't know that it's kind of a joke. The Bible class answer is always Jesus and God, right? Good job, guys. Let's try that again. Who teaches this? What, did, what was the question even? Never mind. Let's move on. Um, how did Jesus model engaging with others to help? Well, I just kind of went over that, right? Got the 12 together, uh, set up the church. He teaches them to make disciples who make disciples. Um, and then he ends his lesson to this religious leader with a question. I'm going to read this from the voice paraphrase. In Luke 10, which of these three proved himself a neighbor to the man who'd been mugged by robbers? The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus, the punchline, well then, go and behave like that Samaritan to the religious guy who didn't like Samaritans, right? It's kind of, kind of funny. Um, Jesus' point is don't be like the religious leaders in this story. They didn't help. They didn't love. Be like the guy who wasn't even our religion, but he loved. That's what he says. That's what matters, right? It's loving people, loving others. In 1 John 3.18, beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Love shows up in action. Love is not some abstract theory where we just talk about it. It's not some concept. It's not some philosophical term. It is action. It is engagement with people. It is personal touch. It is getting your hands dirty. It is not being religious and going to church and checking that off your to-do list for the week. If you're coming here on Sundays and you are not leaving being transformed by the power of God, then something is wrong. You're doing this thing wrong, okay? You've got to take this stuff in the scriptures and you've got to start doing it. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond here today. We've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. Um, we always, anytime we open the word of God, we want to respond because what will happen is whenever you get used to hearing the word of God and not applying it to your life, you're going to get really comfortable doing that. What happens is you will harden your heart. And over time, you will become just like another religious person who goes to church but doesn't do anything the church says to do, right? Which is Jesus, right? Uh, we want to be people that apply this stuff. And so if there's anything that was said today that was challenging to you that you need some help with, I want to invite you to ask for help right? If there's some area of your life where you're struggling, I want to invite you to ask for help. Guys, if there's anything we can offer you here as a church, uh, we would love to help you. We have all kinds of resources for all kinds of different things. I mentioned that I was sexually abused when I was a kid. You want to know where I got help for that? At the crossings. We've got a ministry called Wounded Heart. We, we have a support group that's for people that have gone through that. Uh, and it really helped me a whole lot. All that support group was is a group of people who had also been
the same thing with somebody leading it who had found healing in Jesus because of it. And we took the scriptures and what Jesus says, and we looked at how that applies to our situation. And we just applied it. We have a class called Healing is a Choice. You know, maybe you weren't sexually abused. Maybe you were physically abused or emotionally abused. Maybe you had a family that wasn't present for you. Healing is a Choice is a great class for people that just need healing uh, for all kinds of stuff. Uh, we've got a class for people who've gone through divorce. Guys, divorce is one of those things that I think unless you have experienced it, it's hard for others to understand. Uh, it's one of those things that hurts not just one time, it hurts for a long time. And if there's kids involved, it keeps hurting a lot of the times. It's one of those things you need help with, right? We offer resources if you've gone through that uh, to help. Um, We've got a lot of different things. I'm not going to go over the list, but we've got a lot of different healing ministries because one of the things that Jesus does is he heals. That's one of the things he's kind of known for, right? And often, uh, just like infection can be introduced into a person's life through a wound and it can get gangrenous and, and nasty and it can kill you, well, a wound is also a great way sometimes for medicine to come into your life and antibiotics and, and all kinds of good things because you're going to see the doctor. Jesus is our good doctor. Like he's, he's our healer. So if you've got a hurt here today, understand, I don't care what the hurt is, Jesus can heal it. And he will help use often other people to help with that. Um, if you are interested in just greater connection here with the church, uh, we got a next step graphic we could throw up there. There we go. Uh, I want to invite you, your next step today is to connect. Uh, if you're here at the crossings and you want to uh, maybe learn more about the church or just take, a, take the next step in your journey with God, your journey with God is going to involve connection with God's people because that's often how God works. And so I want to invite you to connect. If you're here today visiting, there are a bunch of people going out to lunch, different places. Go to lunch with somebody. Uh, or if you can't go today, maybe set something up with somebody and, and grab some lunch or some coffee. Uh, guys, we've got all kinds of events coming up. I think you've got some uh, flyers in there. We've got a men's event coming up, men's retreat coming up. Um, we're about to kick off our Easter series. We're going to have some adult cross chats for that. If you're a teenager, guys, we have cross chats every week. If you're a college student, we have cross chats every week. If you don't know what that is, it's like a party uh, where you get together and have fun and have a little short Bible lesson. But honestly, it's more of a party. Um, so uh, we would love for you to come and, and just, just make some friends. Build some relationships. Guys, God works through relationships. If you start hanging out with Jesus people, they're going to mess up your life in a good way. Because some of your lives need to be messed up. Because where you're headed is not good. And if you continue down the road you're on, it's not going to be good. You need, some, you need some Jesus in your life. A lot of them. Man, he's available here. We love the Lord. And we want to love you too. So I want to invite you to connect, okay? Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song that's going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out. Uh, then we'll sing one more song, and we'll pass some baskets, and you can drop your card in that basket when it comes by. Uh, again, if you're visiting, guys, we are really, really glad you're here. I want you to know you're in a safe place. Nobody's going to look down on you. Nobody's going to judge you. If you have questions, nobody's going to think you're stupid. Uh, you're in a safe place. We're not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of messed up people, okay? Because we are messed up people. If you're sitting next to somebody, I could tell you stories about them and you will move a couple of seats down, okay? Uh, that's the kind of place you're in. Nobody's going to look down on you, so don't be afraid, okay? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll sing and you can fill that card out. God, thank you for bringing us together today. Uh, 
we love you, Lord. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Uh, we thank you so much for your patience, knowing that we can screw up and blow it and be unfaithful. But Lord, you still are there, just like the prodigal son. God, you just welcome us back when we come back. So if we need to repent today, if we've blown it and we need to repent, help us to do that. Uh, if we are disconnected, God, if we're guarded uh, and, and we need greater connection, help us to be brave uh, and not to go through life holding everybody at arm's length because we know that's not your will, Lord. Help us to be the people you created us to be. Help us to get on the path to being that person today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.